Thank you for tuning in to a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name's Aaron. I'm the pastor here. What you're in for is a one-hour service with a mission to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. Our goal here is to do what any good Christian church should do, which is help you connect with God in a worshipful way, and then help you grow in your relationship with Him. Our style may just be different than a different church or other churches you're used to, but we still take God very seriously and are true to the Bible. This week, we're in week three of our four-week series called Summer Blockbusters. And that's kind of why you're getting popcorn, is a blockbuster always needs good popcorn, right? So you can munch on that during the service. But with this series, what we're doing is we're looking at people in the Bible who have lives and stories that are like a summer blockbuster or movie. Today, we're picking out the movie-like character where if their life was a movie, you probably would never pick out the movie unless you got a strong recommendation from a friend or somebody. You'd kind of like look at it and you'd glance over it and be like, ah, it's not really for me. Like, nah, like that doesn't look that exciting. Because this movie or this character we're talking about today is all about a sidekick or the person that's not the main character, if that makes sense. We're going to play a little game here for a second, and we're going to play the sidekick game, right? The person that's the sidekick to the movie. So I'm going to see if you can complete the statement. So the first statement is this, Batman and... All right, all right, good. Did you see the picture before I said it? No, all right, good, good. I just, I didn't know if you're cheating or not. How about this one? Nemo and... Dory, all right, come on now, all right, yeah. You guys need to, like, watch some kids' movies or something like that. How about this one? Shrek and Donkey, right? All right. All right, a little bit more old school. How about this one? Wayne and... Oh, I'm impressed by that one. Well done, well done. Well, today we're talking about a blockbuster that is basically all about the sidekick, right? A person who paved the way for a bigger main character. And as you maybe know, sidekicks, they don't have much of a storyline usually. So today's story that we're covering, it's actually a little shorter than our last two weeks. So that means shorter sermon. You're welcome. Um, but today's, today's sermon is on a man named John who is honestly kind of a strange dude. Kind of like weird uncle strange. Uh, his strangeness and his actions and his teachings and his ability to be a sidekick are so powerfully aligned with God, though, and are God-led that they should prompt us to follow suit in being strange with some of our actions and decisions. Now, forewarning, I'm not advocating for us to become this weird church or anything like that, but sometimes our actions or the things we do, they should, and the steps we even take as individuals, sometimes they need to be countercultural or strange to the non-Christian, Right? And this guy that we're going to look at today, he proves it. He proves it's so worth it to be strange in life and shows us that it can be worth it in our own life. The two reasons I think this story is like a summer blockbuster or is a powerful story with a powerful character for us to learn from is I think, I think a lot of us would prefer not to be strange sometimes, right? We'd prefer not to be different 
Yet we need to learn that sometimes stepping out of the norm or doing something different or stopping doing something that is seen as normal can cause powerful things to happen for us, for God, and for others. And secondly, I think we can learn how to be a better sidekick for God versus trying to steal the show and have it be all about us. I don't know about you, but those, honestly, those two things are things I struggle with at times. I sometimes, I feel God's prompting to do things that feel strange to me, like, like some of the churchier things. Like, can you, can you relate with me? Like, when I feel like, ah, I feel like I should just pray for this person and, like, tell them I want to pray for them. It feels weird to do that, right, sometimes, and I don't do it. Sometimes I feel like I got to invite this person to church. Uh, they might think weird of me. I'm not going to do it. Sometimes I, I feel like I should talk about my faith, but I decide not to do it. Sometimes I feel like I need to repent or meaning stopping doing things that I know aren't what God wants. Like that's a whole other category, right? To stop doing things that are normal but that God would want. Like with our relationships, with our parenting, with our money, with our free time online or on TV or whatever. Uh, so that's like what the first part is. And the second thing is how I can relate to this and how I can connect with the story is I struggle with putting myself second sometimes. Do you? Like after God, uh, put, putting myself after God in all things is really hard to do. It doesn't happen. Like my goals kind of creep in. My goals as a father, my, my goals as an organizational leader, as a stable family man, as an athlete, my financial situation. All those things sometimes get put before God at times. And I know it's wrong. I don't know about you, but that's me. How about you? Can you relate to these two things? Can you relate to not wanting to do some of the Christian or church-like things that you just know God wants from you? You feel it, but you just don't want to come across as strange. Or times where it's all about you, and you just don't want to submit or look to God first. If you can relate to those things, you can learn from John today. Or also known as John the Baptist is who we're covering. When John, what you need to know about him is he was strange... But what he did is he paved the way for Jesus. Before we dig into the story, there's a few details you need to know about the Bible and the context of what John is walking into. First off, the story of John, it picks up in essentially all of the Gospels of the Bible. The Gospels are four books covering Jesus' time. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they each are written by different people, but they cover essentially all the same stuff. They just have different ways of writing about things. Just how you and me, if we witnessed an event that was over the course of years, we would write about different things. And that's what's going on in these four stories. And we see John throughout these four books. So how our story begins is before John was even born, it zooms in on this guy named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. It says this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. I want to just point this out there and pause for a second on this. This verse is an amazing verse. I think for, for some people he, maybe here that need to hear this, as it states, even if you're childless or are trying for a child and are unable, it's not because of God or anything you did wrong. They were blameless, it's saying. And they still didn't have a child. That might be news you need to hear today as, as, you're, as you're maybe trying or reflecting on that. 
But it's a complete side note, so I got on a tangent there, sorry. Anyways, our story though, our story, it continues to say Zach was a priest. Zachariah was a priest, and he was chosen by lots or dice. And one day, he was chosen by dice to go into this temple to make sacrifices for God. And the day consisted of like lighting incense, kind of hippie-like, I know, but he's lighting incense, and it was a sacrifice for God. It was a tradition where a crowd kind of stood outside the temple while a priest went in and did these sacrifices. But as these people were outside, they were praying. Well, while Zechariah is in there, this angel appears. And it says this. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So a couple things on this. This sounds kind of familiar to like the last two messages we've done, like the last two characters we've looked at. Lots, diets, prescriptions on things to do or not do. If you've missed those last two weeks, you've got to check those out because it talks about a lot of these same things. But it's a very common practice back then because a dietary choice, it was the way God people were set apart in the Old Testament before Jesus' time. It was to be different, to having this difference be something that pointed them to God, meaning they're different. So that difference is God. And it was by the traditions, it was by the foods, and it was by the things they did. Well, Zechariah, he responds to this angel and is like, I don't know if you notice, but my wife and I are old. We're not having babies. You know, like, we're old. We're way too old to have a babies. And the angel gets kind of upset. The angel, I believe, like, when I, as I read this next verse, it has a tone in my head. Like, he is mad at Zechariah. And he says this, I'm Gabriel, right? Like, I feel like he's shouting, like, I'm Gabriel. I'm sent by God. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Ye, right? Like, I guess note to self, like if an angel ever approaches you, listen to it, right? Like, listen to it or don't doubt the angel. Angel. Well, anyways, Zach or Zachariah, he walks out and I'm assuming, remember, people were praying for him. I'm assuming people praying outside were like, what took so long, man? Like, what's going on in there? And I imagine, like, they're thinking, like, the spirit must really be moving. Like, while he was in there, something was going down. And he does, I'm guessing, a lot of, yeah, that's crazy, but he can't talk, remember? So he's, like, trying to respond. And I'm sure people are like, whoa, that sounds intense, right? And that's how the story of John starts. Well, Zechariah, he's unable to talk, and he returns home shortly after and is to, to meet his wife, and she announces her pregnancy shortly after. I want to pause there and just think, imagine that feeling, right? The feeling or the inability to talk and to share on something that's so big with someone special to you. 
There's a part of me that has to think right now when God moves in our lives, is it ever worth thinking and considering to just take some time to be silent, to process, to think? Like, what does God want next from me before we say, act, or do anything with anyone about it? Even when, even when it's something such as this, as good news. It was a thought that crossed my mind as I, I was reflecting on this this week. Moving on, though, the angel... The angel is really busy, actually, Gabriel, because the book of Luke says what happens next is quickly after this, Gabriel visits Elizabeth's relative sometime, a brief time later, and he visits this, this girl named Mary, who is a virgin and is told she is going to be pregnant miraculously, too. Can you follow along with the story a little bit? There's like someone else that's coming into the picture. If you don't know, we'll get there. Um, well, months pass. And this pregnancy in, happens, and these two women meet up together, Elizabeth and Mary. And it says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I have to like just pause here for a second. My wandering mind as I was like studying this and reading this this week, what is it like baby jumping with joy feel like inside, right? Like, does it feel like gassy? Like, it just like feel like, well, how did she know, right? Like, how did she know something's going on inside? But she does. And Elizabeth knows that there's the sense of God next to her. Well, Elizabeth gives birth. And when this baby was eight days old, it came time for the circumcision ceremony, and they wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed? There is no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures, remember dad can't talk, to, to ask the baby's father what he wanted the name to be. He motioned for a writing tablet, and everyone's surprised he wrote his name as John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. That had to be powerful, right? So powerful, where there's unity between you and your spouse without even communicating about it. Powerful, right? At least, like, the, the way they were used to be able to communicate, like talking, they weren't able to talk anymore, yet they were on the same page. And it seems like God works like that a lot through people, right? Have you ever experienced that? Like, where God reveals something to you, and your spouse or close friend has the same feeling or instantly unity on that topic that you just have been processing, thinking about, or studying. It's what happens in Scripture at times, and it happens to us at times. Are you aware of those moments? Do you acknowledge them and move forward on them? Do you see what's next for you when God does that in your life? Well, now that this priest Zach can talk... He does what any good pastor would do. He starts preaching. <laughs> he, he, like, he like, wasn't able to talk, and now he's like, 
sermon time, all right, so he starts preaching, and he's like, I'm going to declare a, a mini sermon over my son. So what he does is he says, and you, my little son, will be called a prophet of the Most High, because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Now, this is a glance at John being special, special, right? But already, his story is full of placing God first. His father tells him, even though he's a few days old, you are going to prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell people about God, but it won't be about you. You're not going to be the star. You're not going to be the main character, but you will be second. You will be second. That's a strong decision, right? That's a strong statement to make or to tell your son that your life is for God. It's not for your own self. I got to pause there, right? And just reflect on that. Like, that is some strong parenting and strong teaching. Zechariah is essentially telling his child, you are to put God first before yourself in your own life. I don't know about you. That's hard for me to do personally in my own life. And that's extremely hard for me to pass on to my child. Like, like I have a one-year-old, and this is a seven-day-old, right? I, I haven't even done anything close to that. I, as a pastor, haven't done that. I want more than anything for my child to put herself second to God. Is everything I'm doing in her life cultivating that? Am I helping fulfill that statement? I imagine the life choices they make for John are filtered through that. Are your life choices for your kids filtered through that? To help them become a follower of Jesus. To help them have faith. To help them grow in their faith. It's hard-hitting, right? Well, the story of John, it goes quiet for some time in Scripture. And what Scripture says is John grew up and became strong in the Spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry in Israel. After being prophesied about, like by his dad and his father declaring him to pave the way for God, you can guess they did what anybody would do to help him prepare for it, to walk in the steps of past prophets, to, the, to read a lot of the scriptures, and for him to learn and grow up. Yet what you don't maybe know is God hasn't provided a prophet for 400 years. It's been silent for 400 years, and then John shows up. Do you know what? Like, do you know what would happen 400 years ago from us now? Do you remember, like, what was, like, important back then? I don't, right? Like, you don't, you don't know what people were hoping for back then. But as I reflect on that, can you imagine the generational hope and faith that had to happen for hope to remain for 400 years? Can you imagine how the parents, the grandparents, the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, uh, what they did to help encourage and teach that hope, Right? That would have been powerful. It would have had been something declared and taught and encouraged and lived out by more than just the parents. It would have had been by the community, a church, a family. Well, John is ready, and he starts his ministry. And at about the same time, this one other person is starting to make a name for himself, doing ministry, Mary's son. Remember those, those, two, those two pregnant women or women? And Mary's son is named Jesus. Jesus. 
Remember, I, I think, like, is that a term, like, womb mates? Were they womb mates, or is that brothers? I, I don't know. Um, but they both show up at the same time, right? Like, they were, they were like, friends outside, or inside the wombs, and they both show up kind of at the same time. And John finally feels it's right for him to come out of the wilderness and fulfill his calling. It says this, at this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River. And how John rolls up is in style, right? It's in Matthew 3, 4. This is probably like, if you grew up in the church, this is probably what you know about John the Baptist. It says this, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. I don't know why this is necessary in scripture, like to point out like what he's rolling up in. But if you grew up in the church, like this is probably what you know about John, right? Like I imagine him rolling out of the desert, like bees swarming around him, looking all like Gerard Butler like, like in the gladiator, but like, but wearing not something cool like that, but looking more like Eddie in Christmas family vacation, you know, like very abnormal, kind of strange, right? But honestly, his style is intentional. His style is intentional uh, because he was trying to kind of be hmm, an ancient redneck commoner. Well, maybe, maybe not to that point, maybe not fully to that point, but he was intentionally trying not to be this glammed up person. He was trying to be one that everyday commoner could connect with, anybody could connect with, and that is what he did. What happens next is amazing. It says this, people from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And what he was doing was preaching. He was saying, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And people would hear this and decide, there's things I need to repent from. There's things I need to change in my life. I don't know about you, but like when I am like hearing someone like kind of say, these are things that maybe you need to change, when I'm, when I'm hearing those things, and if I take a time to humble myself when someone says, repent from these mistakes or these things, I definitely can realize there, and, and analyze and think, there are some things I need to change in my life. There's some things I need to change, like my wrong choices, my wrong desires, maybe greed, lust over things, to just name a few. Well, these people that are listening to John, they find their few, and John then says, get baptized. Change your ways. It says this, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Now, this is a ginormous shift and something big. John is foreshadowing to come for the future of God's people. One that we're going to sit on for a second, and I'm going to Bible nerd out with you for like two minutes. So hang with me. All right, so first off, I need you right now to think about if you can tell the difference between something you feel in your heart to something you just do, to do to just check off. Well, when you go through the necessary motions versus actually meaning something, right? It's different. It's different in your heart. Like if someone is apologizing to you, have you ever experienced this? Like if they say sorry in like a crabby way, you don't really believe them. I, I was horrible at this growing up. Like I, I had a sister and we'd get in fights all the time. And I, like it'd be like, say you're sorry, Aaron. I'd be like, sorry. You know, or like there'd be like a tone. And you'd be like, sorry. 
I wasn't really sorry, but it was like I did it to move on from it, right? Like, sorry. Well, what you can see is there's no actual repentance in that. It's just the motion. It's just the verbalization of it. And that's the subtle dis, uh, uh, difference that John is pushing for when it comes to baptism. To go a bit deeper, first off, baptism, it's this Greek word that means baptizo, or that is baptizo, and it means to dunk, to clean, to immerse, or submerge, or water body slam. Okay, not that one. Um, but back then, people were used to doing the ceremonial cleaning. Like, they were used to washing themselves after maybe touching something that was impure, or not clean, or dirty, uh, or that was infected, that would make them, like, not totally right with God. But this is something like that, but totally different. This is washing intentionally. And it's being done after people are saying, I need to repent from being judgmental, from being greedy, from being gossipy, from being lustful. And even though I know the thing I need to do to get over it and just make it right, say you're sorry, they're saying the opposite. They're saying, I want something more. A cleansing of my heart that means something to me internally. That moves me to actual action of my repentance. It's different, right? You see, the people back then, they were so used to just like shedding blood, killing animals, uh, doing like some things that like made them right with God. And then they would do this as like a way to like kind of make up for their sin. And then they'd go back to doing the things that were wrong. It was the cyclical thing. And they never got past that. At this point, they're changing their ways. They're realizing they need something internal. And this is the shift John is advocating for, is repent in your heart, wash your whole being, and change your ways. What's fascinating is, is God has used this, this idea, even in the Old Testament, a symbolic washing to make things right and new. Like, if, you, if you've been around the Bible, you, you maybe heard the story of Noah and the ark, right? Uh, Noah and the flood. And what happens is God uses water to wash over things that were wrong to make things new, new life. God, uh, you maybe have heard of the story of Moses parting the Red Sea. Like, the, he saves people from slavery, and he parts the Red Sea with God's power goes through it with his people, and these people are set for a new life. This water has made new life for them. There's a number of pictures like this in the Bible. But now, God is showing through John, this water, this baptism, is you symbolically embracing a cleanse that God is offering you. New life, heart change, and people are coming. People are coming. People are visiting John. People are experiencing it. People are choosing repentance. And people are publicly stating their repentance and heart change with an action of baptism. They are embracing a fresh start with God. And since it's, it's not just about being good enough and not being cyclical anymore of just getting, getting good and so that you can live on more, the crowds are asking, what should we do now? Now that we've been baptized, what should we do now? And it says this, what should we do? John replied, well, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you, if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Uh, even the corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do now? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Like, be honorable, be honest, live as God wants you to. And then uh, some soldiers asked, what should we do now? And John says, don't extort money. 
or make false accusations about people. Be content with your pay. John is helping them embrace this life change and move forward from their mess-ups and mistakes by bringing forth godly habits. And it's working. People are coming so much so that they say this. They're eager to, of whether or not John might be the Messiah. John answers their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I, so much greater than that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What John is saying is, I baptize you with water, help you maybe change your ways, to help you experience a fresh start with God internally, to put your foot down and stop doing things. But he says, it's not what's saving you. It's not the Messiah. It's not the thing you've been preparing for. What you're experiencing right now, it's just water. I want to pause there on, on our nerd out of this Bible. I'm sorry, it was a little longer than two minutes. Um, we're going to be back. We're going to finish this up. It's exciting though, right? Like this is where we're going somewhere with this. Uh, but as all of this is happening in this story, all of this context, all of this coming together, this guy Jesus shows up to John's sight. And I feel like it, the Western whistle like happens. Like it's like Jesus and John, it's like, you know, like they're like, we're two prophets kind of walking around. We got our people following each other. And, you know, like they're like, I feel like they're walking around like this, right? You know, like they're, they're like kind of in a standoff. They haven't really seen each other. They're not even sure what each other's doing completely. But what happens is powerful, and it's so revealing of who John is meant to be. It says this, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Let's pause here. I mean, John, he's crushing it right now. Normally people hate prophets, right? They're like, this guy is like horrible. Yet they're coming to him like crazy. And all of a sudden, he's got all this momentum, all these people following him. And yet he feels he should still give everything he's built over to this random guy at that time, Jesus. Isn't that powerful and revealing and exciting? Again, John is showing us how to be second when you're in the limelight. He's got everything going for him, yet he's willing to give it away. He's showing us how to submit, even in the heat of the moment. What would that look like for you to submit to, like, to things like that that would be God-honoring, that would be honoring to Jesus? What would it look like for you to submit in maybe your marriage that would be God-honoring? What would it look like to be, submit maybe with a friend that would be God-honoring? What would it look like to submit in a ministry that would be God-honoring or a personal desire to advance God's kingdom like John does? Well, the showdown between John and Jesus, it breaks. It says this, Jesus says, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agrees to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit descending like a dove and setting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That'd be a powerful moment, right? Like, whoa, I just witnessed something amazing. But can you imagine that affirmation John just received? Like, he just submitted to someone greater than him, and then all of a sudden sees this miraculous thing happen. That's powerful. John paves the way, and he fulfills his calling. 
John's time as we know it, this is what's left of his story, is he quickly finishes with some of his disciples, and he, he says his disciples should actually become Jesus' disciples. He pushes them towards that. He, he's then imprisoned for speaking out against the king's wrong ways at that time, because he's a prophet. He's doing what he feels is right from God. Uh, and what happens is he gets beheaded. His head is delivered on a platter to the king and queen of that time because of who he is and what he stood for. It's a story of a sidekick, right? A man fully dedicated to the hero of the main story, to God, and putting himself second. We see someone, John, is repenting from the normal action and putting faith in who Jesus is. Fast forward some short time after John's death, Jesus, the hero, he ends up being killed, and we can see his death becomes this perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of a perfect person taking the needed sacrifice, death and punishment for whatever is needed from the mess-ups of every person, yet since he's God, he returns from death and he says this to us in Mark 16, 16. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. What Jesus is showing is those who believe in who he is and what he has done will be saved. And what is being implied is, is those who believe in their need for Jesus and have a heart change, right? That's the point of a baptism. Heart change will be saved. The symbolic experience for full repentance. They then will be saved by God, as in have life after death with God. Through our story from John, we learn how to keep ourselves second and what real repentance looks like. As we close our, our story and reflect on John and I kind of wrap things up, I want you to think, first, are you able to put yourself second? Are you able to put yourself second as John did? What's needed in your life to show that this week, that you are willing to put yourself second to God? And then secondly, is there something you need to do for God to show your heart has been changed? For you, is it actually having your actions align with repentance? Is it following through with the opposite of what you're maybe struggling with inside right now? Is it doing something that maybe seems strange, but you know God wants from you? I'm going to pray that we can act on those two things this week, whatever that one is for you. Uh, and I'm going to pray that God helps prompt us to follow through with that. If you want to pray with me right now as we talk about repentance and putting ourselves second, you can pray with me right this second. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of John. Thank you for having, us sh having him show us how to be second. And God, some of us right now, uh, we want to repent from some things. We know there's some things stirring in us that we need heart change on. Not just saying the right things, doing the right things. We need heart change so that we can take steps forward to really live out what you want from us. God, help us make that happen. Help us be honorable to you in, in everything we do. In your name we pray, amen.